It's the 1950s, and I'm a recent divorcee trying to make a living for me and my daughter off of my paintings. It isn't until I meet Walter Keene, a like-minded individual, and my world turns upside down, but for the better or worse. Now, of course, this isn't my story, but it's the story of the movie we're talking about this week. The Umbra Speed. Sound production, take one. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Unbound Cinefem. My name is Avery, your wonderful host for this podcast, and I hope we're doing good this week. Um, it's turning out to be one hell of a month for movies um, and TV shows, really. I mean, we had Stranger Things, we have Love Island. That seems to be anything that anyone can talk about right now. Personally, I don't watch it. Um, not because I don't think it's interesting. I just, I don't know. Um, when it comes to reality TV, like, it has to have something, something else, you know? Um, like that, that Netflix reality TV show, um, Sexy Beasts? Yeah, Mm mm-hmm, that one's it. If I can't laugh at it, I don't want to watch it. I'm coming to you this week with a movie that is... Unlike some of the other ones that I've reviewed, um, I mean, it's not completely off the grid, but it's a Tim Burton film. This is my first Tim Burton movie that I'm reviewing on this podcast. But of course, I've seen a bunch of other um, of his films since I was born. Um, my favorite Tim Burton film probably have to be Corpse Bride, I would say. Um, that was mm-hmm, that that did it for me when I was little. But he's also come out with Dark Shadows, that's a good movie, Um, and Nine, and a bunch of other movies that I might have not seen, but you have. And so this week, I'm not talking about any of those movies, but what I am going to be talking about is Big Eyes. Now, this movie came out in Christmas of 2014, which, interesting release date, I must say, But the interesting thing about this movie is that it's based on a true story. And so the synopsis of this movie is really just the real life story of um, Walter and Margaret Keene. This movie initially had a budget of $10 million, um, but in the box office, it made $19 million more than its budget. Which, I mean, I'm, it's not the first movie to do that, but I just feel like that's kind of an astounding record to make with um, a movie such as this one. It was produced by Harvey Weinstein's company. Ooh! But different times, different times. Today, um, we just choose not to recognize them. <laughs> Nonetheless, this movie um, was good. I enjoyed it. Um, and so I'm going to go ahead and get into the plot summary and what I liked about it. And then I'll get into, of course, the nitty gritty. Tim Burton's Big Eyes follows Margaret Keene, real life artist. Um, this movie is based on a true story, as I've said previously. Um, and it takes place in San Francisco in the 1950s. 
and Margaret is just trying to make it on her own after she left her husband with only her daughter and her paintings. While struggling to make an impact with her paintings um, of children with abnormally large eyes, she meets this guy named Walter Keene who claims to be a painter and she meets him in the park at some sort of flea market. The two quickly become um, not even just a couple, but they get married very, very quickly. Um, and so eventually within their marriage, Walter starts to sell their paintings and Margaret is just kept at home painting more and more children with these big, big eyes. But Walter is actually selling her paintings as his own. She's under the impression this entire time that he is selling both of their paintings respective of her art, her name, and his art and his name, but he's really just posing as her. And so this kind of creates a clash of financial success and critical failure, and it sends Margaret reeling in just a big web of lies, right? With Walter still living the high life, um, Margaret's kind of forced to have to make it on her own again and reclaim her name and her paintings along with it. And so you can look up this um, court case, you can look up because it, it was a big thing in it. The case, I think, took place in the 1960s-ish, um, but yeah, it was a big case from what I looked up on. And so you can read up on the actual situation and, of course, watch the movie because why not? There were a lot of things that I liked about this movie. Of course, Tim Burton um, always puts his own particular spin on films and this one was no different. I think with this movie, he you could tell that there was some restriction in terms of how um abnormal he could be you know Tim Burton's films always have that that signature look style feel um an aesthetic to them right and you can still you still feel that you know this is this is a Tim Burton piece of piece of work um but it's no Edward Scissorhands, it's it's no Dark Shadows, um, but he still finds little little ways to to make it his own. In terms of style, Tim Burton always has that gothic feel to it. So even in Edward Scissorhands, you know you have the cliche, very very bright pastel um, suburbia, but then you have Edward Scissorhands, and that like. Edward's character and his home and his aesthetic and his aura adds to those to that gothic style um, where you have all these bright pastel you know like colorful lively happy tones right so it provides a contrast and so in big eyes what adds the contrast is the paintings themselves now you can look up these paintings you can see that they're, they're literally just all children and they have really really big dark eyes they're not happy paintings but even in the movie margaret talks about how you know she believes that eyes are the windows to the soul and you know when she was a kid she lost her hearing so she had to use her eyes a lot more and she watched people and she learned a lot 
about people through their eyes. And so that's what inspires her to paint what she paints. And so all of these paintings of these children though there's not they're not smiling (laughs) they're not they're just very like solemn-faced stone-faced um and I think that is a like kind of like a contrast to the bright colors of 19 1950s 60s San Francisco um you know because you still have those very bright pastels and then once Walter enters the movie um there's certain parts where more darkness comes in or more darker tones and so I really liked and and it wasn't anything to me at least it wasn't anything that you had to go searching for like you just kind of noticed it it was it was very brief but it was there and um and it was like ooh okay hold on what was that like it kind of for me I had to pause rewind and make sure that what I was seeing was real I also noticed a lot of diagonal shots or just like off-centered shots and I don't remember um in one of my classes that I took for film we talked about just like the different angles of you know cameras and stuff and how certain directors have their like signature signature shots um and i don't remember what the who the director was we were talking about when it comes to off-centered or diagonal um like crooked shots but tim burton in this film at least there were a lot of those and most of the time Camera angles communicate things, um, no matter what the shot is, but for like a crooked or diagonal type of shot, it can really just depict how kind of like things are a little unordinary around here. Um, things are not what they seem. This is an illusion type of thing. And so the first time that I noticed it, is when Walter and Margaret first meet and that's when you get a lot of those crooked shots and of course once you watch the movie through and then you you know you think back to it you're like yeah obviously things were not as they seem because he's a con artist that man is a liar as most or just kidding just kidding (laughs) so it's really those small little cinematography um, aspects to it and a few other like key production details that I noticed that I really enjoyed about this movie. Now I will say that this movie okay I joke I joke about disliking men all the time right it's a joke it's a joke but this movie oh my god if I if I wasn't uh, a feminist before I'm a feminist now because oh the way that Walter had my blood boiling it wasn't even Walter like it was Walter but it was also just like the patriarchy because and the thing I have to keep reminding myself of when I'm talking about this movie is that it's not just a movie these are like real people's lives and so when this situation took place and when this movie is set it's the 1950s like peak patriarchy right women were just starting to wear pants but they were still expected to like like margaret margaret goes into a job interview fresh out of a divorce 
And the guy in her interview is like, oh, and your husband's okay with you getting a job? Um, first of all, that man, that man, don't worry about, don't worry about me. <laughs> don't worry about me and my home affairs. Worry about your own. Give me my job. Come on. Um, so it's, it's different stuff like that and how Margaret was really made to just feel submissive. And that's what got her into the position that she found herself in with Walter. And, you know, as much as I can sit here and, and hate the villain, I also have to hate the the creator of the villain, which is the patriarchy. Come on now. Am I wrong? Um, so yeah, I, I was just, ugh, I was clenching my fist the entire time. I was like, ugh, I was just so upset. Um, but I enjoy movies that elicit emotion out of me, like, like actual emotion, not just, not just laughter. For me, I think laughter is very, very easy. It's a very easy emotion for me. So if you can elicit either sadness or anger out of me, yeah, you're doing something right. So, um, I honestly... This movie gets a, I'm going to give it a, a three and a half stars. Um, and it'll be up on Letterboxd for you to see. My short little review will be up there for you, to, for you to see. But there were a few things that I didn't like about the movie. Not just like me hating the men in the movie or anything like that. But there were more like actual technical things that I just found were unnecessary and I'll get into them um, in a little bit because I don't want to spoil anything. So, yeah, I definitely think this movie is worth watching. I love submersive films where it kind of, it's like you're watching your world, but through like a, a quirky little lens, you know, and that's always Tim Burton's movies. There's another director that I I think is out there that um does their film similar to this where it's just kind of like a little kooky you know it's like it's our world but it's not at the same time and I really enjoy those because as someone who can often find it hard to enjoy science fiction films um, where, you know, they take place on a whole different planet. Like, I've never been a Star Wars fan. Please don't hate me. Don't dox me. Like, I'm just trying to be honest with y'all. I've never been a Star Wars person. I'd play the video games. I would. I enjoyed the video games. But the movies, I could never get into, even today. Um, and it's mainly just because of that science, that, like, super, super science fiction space, like, aspect that I just can't grasp like setting wise I guess um so it's like I I don't know these types of movies um these types of movies kind of teleport you into almost like an alternate universe I guess is what I'm trying to say where it's like you know I recognize this place but something's not right yeah, um, you can find this movie on Netflix. I don't know when they'll take it off because, you know, Netflix has been on some 
to been on some snake shit recently, but... I hope they don't come and find me for saying that. Anyways, <laughs> um, yeah, you can find it on Netflix or, you know, look it up on maybe YouTube or something like that. Whatever you do, go watch it with an open mind, like I always say. And now we'll get into the nitty gritty. The movie opens up first with a quote from Andy Warhol, but... We'll talk about that in a little bit um, because that comes back up later in the movie. So the opening of the movie is Margaret leaving her current husband to, you know, move to San Francisco. But the first words we hear are the 50s were a great time if you were a man. And so that really sets the tone for the movie, for the situation, and it sets the scene as well, right? I mean, obviously, we can see they're dressed in 50s attire, but it's also like, all right, so Margaret's about to, you know, be in one hell of a ride as a woman in the 50s because she's not a man. And um, so the, there is this theme with gender roles and expectations, Um you know, Margaret, I mentioned it before, Margaret gets asked about her husband in a job interview. It's like, oh, so your husband's okay with you getting a job. Um, first of all, I don't care what my husband thinks. He can think diddly squat for all I care. Give me my job. Like, and that's, that's one thing about me. Or that's, why does it matter? I know it's 1950s. I know it was a different time. But why did it ever matter? If you need work, if you need people to work, if you need somebody to fill this job position, and I'm here, open arms, open availability, why are you sitting here asking me about my business? Come on, put me to work. So, anyways, um, once she does start her job, she also starts to kind of offer services in the park um, for, like, painting. So she puts up her painting um samples and she'll just take anyone who wants to get like their their face sketched or whatever right but she notices that a male artist is getting more attention than her and it it's Walter but at the time she doesn't know but he's just he's more of like a salesman than she is which I very much relate that's why I've never worked in a car dealership I've never worked because I cannot sell a thing for my life if you say no to me once, I'm going to take it because why, what do I look like trying to force you to buy what I'm trying to sell to you? And so Margaret just lets these people, you know, walk past her. If they're interested, they're interested. If they're not, they're not. But Walter's the type of person to follow you as you walk by, trying to persuade you and following you, trying to talk to you. And those are the people, those are the people that I do not like. When I'm in the mall and I'm just trying to walk, mm-mm, yep, no thank you, I'm good. So, then, once she starts to get to know Walter a little bit more, um, she finds out that he's not a full-time painter. She's under the impression that he is, but he's not. It comes out that he's a realtor, and Walter starts to complain about being a realtor instead of a full-time artist. But to me, I'm sitting here thinking, like... Margaret doesn't even have the opportunity to really be a realtor because she's a woman. (laughs) She's a divorced woman at that. 
Like she, like her job opportunities are so much slimmer than yours. You're lucky enough to even be able to work as a realtor, to be, to be able to make the money that you're making as a man. And like, and she's, she has to find like the bare minimum type of job. She has to worry about not being married to get a job. Really? We're going to sit here and talk about who has it tougher? All right. That, those are just like three instances, right? But it, it goes on because once Margaret actually starts to display her paintings, and this is well after like Walter scams her into painting, um, you know, her big eyes for him under his name. And they have this whole scam going on. But she tries to create her own style separate from the big eyes and she puts them up in the studio and she gets one person one man who's interested in her in her work but he he showed interest up until the point that Margaret started speaking and that's when he was kind of turned off by it and it was kind of like it gave me the impression of because as they're talking, he's like, oh, like, you're so mysterious. You're so this, you're so that. And she starts talking more and more and more because, you know, she's getting a little bit more comfortable, I guess. And that's when he loses interest. And it's just like, I know of so many women who can sit here and say that, like, once they didn't live up to the expectations that a man held to them or like that a man expected them to be they lost interest you know it's like oh you realize a woman has brains or a woman is smarter than you and you lose interest now obviously not all men I have to disclaim that but the point is is that some is is more than none and that's the problem (laughs) like it should be none. Um, and so there, there's just those, those moments where you, you pinpoint, all right, this is, this is the 1950s. And gender played a huge role in the 1950s. But specifically in this case. Because even when they were in court, in the court scene in the movie, when they were in court, and she was explaining, like, why she did what she did she was like I felt dominated by him I felt like I was in a position where I really couldn't do anything else you know she had the fears of being a a second divorced wife to a second man um, having to move somewhere else again having to find another job again like having to go through that whole thing and the first time was bad enough like she didn't want to have to do it the first time um and even in the very beginning like the the narrator because because there's a narrator um the narrator talks about how like she left her husband back when it was still unfashionable to do so and so you know it, it was something that she was ashamed of and so why would she put herself through it again granted she was a very strong woman to have done what she did at the time that she did it leaving her husband like yeah good for you girl because there are some there are a lot of women who did not leave their husbands when they should have all because of some social and gender norms anyways um along with gender there's 
the idea the idea of male fragility um in Walter more specifically and I think it's mainly just his ego um but like the male ego really because the patriarchy is what holds up the male ego you the entire idea is to put women down is to keep women submissive so that men can be the dominant gender um and so when margaret seems to be more successful than him at reaching his goals and when she when she has more going for herself than he does it's it's a strike to his ego and you know him posing as margaret when people are asking about their paintings because they're side by side when he first puts their paintings up for display it's in like a very back corner in a jazz club and their paintings are right next to each other but when someone walks by and looks at them and starts commenting on them he thinks they're talking about his landscape paintings of France but they're really talking about the big eyes and so he takes credit for the painting but he still gets upset that her paintings are getting more attention than his are and that's when he comes up with the idea of just you know letting him letting him take the credit for it pretty much and he even says it himself he's like you know that it's a lot harder for women to break out in the art industry and it's just like he he sets it up to really make Margaret consider yeah you'll have a better time selling our paintings than I will um along with all of this gender talk as well religion um kind of reinforces the gender roles as well and religion shows up a few times in this movie not a lot um but when it does it plays an important role And so Margaret goes to a confessional and she kind of just explains her situation and she's saying how she feels guilty and she she doesn't know what to do or how to navigate the situation. And the priest literally tells her the husband is the head of the household for a reason. And if, you know, what he's doing is in good faith, then she should find a way to pretty much learn to live with what's going on and when I tell you I was sick to my stomach because like this all right this is this is what we talk about when we talk about toxic toxic religion and toxic religious beliefs because you cannot sit here and tell me that God would want me to be unhappy because a man is is the head of the household and I need to listen to him absolutely not no I don't believe it for one second The last theme that I marked down was eyes, obviously. That's like the biggest theme that you can take away from the movie. Margaret says that she believes eyes are the window to the soul, right? And when she said that, honestly, I was waiting for more, um, for more visuals of eyes, especially Walters, because throughout the movie, there was different there was different aesthetic symbolism um, to show that he was evil, right? But the one thing that we didn't get was his eyes. And that was until 
uh, I would say it was like maybe 30 minutes before, like 30 minutes to the end of the movie. And he looks into the keyhole of their painting room and his eyes are just this like vivid green. His pupils look to be dilated. They're just like wild, right? And green is typically associated with envy. It's associated with jealousy. Um, like this is complete. Mm, I want. I want to say like creatures of the night, right? Like cartoons of werewolves. I've seen them have green eyes. Um, but but mostly it's like eyes of envy. You're green with envy, and. So so for Margaret's belief to be what it is and us to finally see Walter's eyes that close up, um, it was like, it was a perfect moment for me. <laughs> like I saw it and I was like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. that's a golden moment right there. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, cause the entire movie, Walter's really just jealous of Margaret, um, and truly, he's lucky enough that she even let him go along with it in the first place. But even even as he's sitting here posing as her, I think there's still just a part of him that's jealous that he can't even produce the work that she's producing. You know, he thinks it's just it's it's just easy enough to stand in front of a painting and say, yes, this is mine. And to take what she's saying verbatim to him and, you know, regurgitating it back to all the people in this museum and this art gallery. But he gets one person who's like, who asks him like, oh, what was the inspiration? Or like, oh, why are you painting children? Because no, that question, that's a good question. Why are you a grown man painting children? Answer that. Hmm? But anyways... Um, yeah, I mean, like, he, he gets a few art patrons who gag him a little bit because he doesn't expect their questions. And so I think that he, you know, ultimately, he's really just jealous. And it comes out even um, when Margaret, because th- this entire time... Um, in the in the movie he had painted over his original paintings he had painted over the name that he had signed it with which was like scenic and he painted over it to match the signature on margaret's paintings so that there was no way that people could sit here and say you're lying about these paintings being yours so she figures that out And then he reveals that he never even went to Paris or wherever he said he studied art. We find out that was even a lie. So literally everything he's ever said is a lie. Um, And so he's just 100% a con man. And I think even in that, there's a little bit of jealousy. Like to have have like 0% authenticity to yourself, to your personality, to your life to your your so-called craft and and you find someone who has everything that you lack like there has to be a bit of jealousy there and so even when Walter and Margaret this is I would say in the first half of the movie um you know they're talking about their different styles of paintings and Walter paints the same European landscape 
from his quote-unquote time traveling when he was in art school. Um, But Margaret's paintings are initially what gets him the attention that he so-called thrives on. And he even tells her that her paintings, her paintings have heart. Her paintings have the the soul in them, right? Like in in saying this, he kind of bashes his own work. And so I was sitting there and I was kind of thinking, like, what does this say about artists and their motivations? By the end of the movie, we can easily sit here and say, Walter's motivation is money and success. That's all. Walter's motivations is pretty much not to fail so like with walter him painting the same the same scenes over and over again to say they're even his really because we know he's just a one big fraud um but is like is an artist more worthwhile when their motivation isn't the the money and the success but simply just doing it to do it because I don't really know if Margaret ever wanted to make a living off of her painting specifically. I think she wanted to be a painter if, as a career, yes. But I don't know if she wanted to be the kind of painter that Walter turned her into. And so with Walter's motivation being money and, and success, Margaret was forced to take these motivations on, you know, and like and be fueled by them as well because Walter was using her paintings for money. And so in that, she lost all her values and her morals. One of her closest relationships was with her daughter and she lost that relationship because she got up she got caught up in Walter's motivations and Walter's lives. I want to highlight the technical aspects of this movie because I feel like I don't talk about those enough. Like I feel like I took all those classes in college about about you know film and cinematography and just for me to not sit here and and talk to y'all about it enlighten you come on now so um and I I will say that this like Tim Burton is a little bit more expressive with his um with his style of cinematography and so you know I typically talk about horror movies and like I said every type of um every type of camera shot every type of angle and color and effect like they they all have meanings and purposes but maybe it's just the way that Tim Burton used them in this film that really caught my eye um one uh besides the diagonal shots and all um one of the first times that it really caught my eye was when Walter proposes so they're standing in Margaret's living room it's like very sunny that like the sun's beaming through the windows but it's creating like this yellow hue um and the shot cuts to like a low dim shot um looking upwards towards Walter and he says, I've got a million reasons for you to say yes after he asks Margaret to marry him. And he says it really weirdly. Like, it's like, it's almost like maniacal the way he says it. But then the scene, like the, the camera cuts back to the angle it was at before. And the rest of the scene is still bright and yellow. 
but just that one part is like lacking that color and it's like mm, that was the scene where I had to rewind and and look back and think okay yeah I actually saw that with my own eyes another way that um lighting is used is when both Margaret and Walter are in the club um you know with their paintings I saw the way that the lighting kind of portrayed the morals of the characters in the sense that Walter's face was kind of shadowed with with the red lighting in the club and then Margaret's face was um, shining down with, with white light. And so this is reflected in like Walter and how his motivations and his morals start to affect Margaret um, because part of the red light is on Margaret's face as well. Most of it is lit up by the white light, but there's just a small sliver that's red. And I feel like that small sliver represents how she's slowly becoming consumed by Walter's greed and Walter's um, fraudulent behavior and everything like that. And so then we start to see that Walter's causing Margaret to lie to her own daughter because it's a secret she has to keep from her. And that only, you know, causes her to start lying to other people like her best friend. She doesn't even see her best friend as much as she initially did when she first moved to San Francisco. She barely even leaves her house anymore, stuff like that. And then um, around like 30 minutes before the movie ends, when they're at their house, it the camera, because they're running through the house, Walter's on a rampage, the scene cuts out to a wide shot of the house and on one side of the house, there's a red light beaming onto, like, the one side of the house. Um, and and it really creates, like, a cast of red light over the entire house. But I just, I saw it as, you know, like, kind of like a visual for, okay, Walter's, like, Walter has a hold on this household, really. And, you know, one of the signatures in Tim Burton's live action films specifically, um, are the bright hues. They were in Edward Scissorhands before. Not so much, well, not so much dark shadows. There were, I think there were brief moments, but of course that's where that, that gothic style and those, you know, bright colors kind of clash together, especially in dark shadows, actually. Oh my gosh. I love that movie. Anyways, (laughs) um, So, you know, there were a lot of bright hues in this movie. And in one way, I think that's how he creates this kind of like alternate universe aura to the movie. Because obviously, we know San Francisco. We visit San Francisco. Um, The 1950s was only so long ago. But still, in a way, this movie, this situation, these people seem so far away. Um, you know, they go to Hawaii for their honeymoon and like the pinks are super, super bright pinks, the blues, super, super bright blues. And it's just kind of like, you know, wow, like I'm watching, I'm watching a movie about real people, but it doesn't, it doesn't feel like it. So, you know, I've, I've been talking about all the things that I liked technically about the movie, Um, But there are a few other things, not so much like, you know, cinematography wise. I thought the narrative was really fluid. Um, 
and from what I could pinpoint, a lot of the use of the music and the editing um, helped to create more of a fluidity um, between scenes. So when they would transition into the next scene, um, they would, you know, bring in the music from the next scene a little bit early. So it was it was kind of a, a bit of a smoother transition. Um, they used the fortune cookie trope and I, I don't know what it is. Maybe it was Freaky Friday that really, like, you know, solidified my my love for the, the fortune cookie use in in fiction films. But I just, like, when people are at a Chinese restaurant, they open it up, they read their fortune, and it predicts the rest of the movie. I love that. Foreshadowing, I guess. They, yeah. They use fortune cookies as a foreshadowing instrument. Perfect way of wording that. I love when my words come together. Anyways, um, so yeah, I loved that moment because it was between her and her best friend. Um, which we will talk about her best friend in a little bit because, mm-hmm, yeah. Um, I did really like the parallels between um, the gender expectations and their negative results. So, you know, because it's takes place in the 1950s and of course it's a real situation that happened in the 1950s we see how you know like joint financials and and the stay-at-home wife life kind of negatively negatively impacted women at that time and so while this is a movie about um you know the story of Walter and Margaret Keene we also see a bit of like the historical um the, the historical facts of the time. Another um, thing that I really liked, there was a scene when Margaret was in the grocery store and she's looking all around her and every person that she sees, they have big eyes um, or at least big eye makeup. And at first I saw it as like, wow, like there's a lot of people who admire the big eyes so much that they're like wearing the makeup. But then it got to a point where I was considering, hmm, maybe this is just her being surrounded by her own guilt. Because she was really, really starting to feel guilty about keeping this secret and hiding it and, you know, how it was just affecting her mentally as well. Which, all in all, if she's seeing these people with these big eyes, I'm sure her mental health is not 100%. But... There were some dislikes. A lot of these are honestly just like I like I would say at least half of them. Half of them are really just my commentary on things that I did not like. For example, Walter complaining about being a realtor instead of a full-time artist. I already said it before, but you're a man. Like do you not see your privilege? Do you not see you're complaining about being a realtor? Margaret would absolutely kill to have a job like that but instead she's painting on cribs because because that's the closest she can get to be to doing what she wants to do also walter or i guess the actor who plays walter was breathing so heavy throughout the whole movie and i was just so furious i was like why can i hear you breathing he was a mouth breather And, you know, I don't want to sit here and discriminate against mouth breathers, but, like, at least do it a little bit quieter. 
I should not hear you over the actor right next to you when you're in a scene. I really did love the relationship that her and her best friend had. It just sucks that Margaret couldn't take her best friend's advice. Now, I just want to know why they never listen to the best friend's opinion. If I'm sitting here telling you that, like, okay, first of all, they made a pact in the beginning of the movie. They made a pact that said, you know, the next guy that you start today, if I feel like he's a little funny or something don't sit right with me, I'm going to let you know. And Margaret was like, yeah, please do that. And when she did, Margaret was like, mm, no, he's different. Oh, so are you, are you going to say that about the next guy too? Because you said that about the last guy too. So I just want to understand how this pattern works. Like how are you supposed to, am I just supposed to, you know, like speak a little bit and then you choose whether or not to listen to me? I don't get it. But getting into more like, <laughs> getting into more like actual dislikes of the movie um, I felt like the journalist's narration was a little unnecessary. I think part of it added to the, like, surrealist, you know, um, the surrealist vibe to the movie of how it was the bright colors and everything like that. And then having a narrator makes it kind of feel like a, like a storybook in that or whatever. But I just, I didn't feel like he narrated enough for him to be a narrator he popped in and then popped out for like 45 minutes and then came back in and then popped out for another 45 minutes and it just kind of felt unnecessary like if at this rate I'll just watch the story unfold as it unfolds I don't need I don't need your help um there was this time jump also around the middle of the movie and I only really knew that there was a time jump because the daughter was older and it was never like a two years later or anything like that maybe maybe there was and I missed it I really don't think I did but I like to gaslight myself sometimes out of thinking the things that I do so maybe there's a time jump and in like a distinct time jump and I missed it but to me it's just all of a sudden the daughter was older and they were in a house and I was just supposed to keep moving but like there was a point in time in the middle of the movie where it was just kind of redundant. Like it was like Margaret was painting more pic Margaret was painting more waves for Walter to take to different venues. He would come back with money, whatever, whatever. And it just seemed like there was a, a very static moment of the movie. And I was just really wanting it to kind of move forward, something else to happen. Um and then this time jump happens and that's when things really start to happen and it's just kind of like okay what the heck how did this even come about yeah those are really the only those are the things that I really didn't like and that's why I give it a 3.5 out of 5 stars um on letterboxd is because I and I'm (laughs) I'm mainly rating it on like the solid reasons for my dislike um not just the you know Walter's breathing or anything like that but you know I feel like sometimes narration is used um just to just to add a little bit more to a story and it's and it doesn't really have to be there and in this case that's how it feels um you know a lot of 
Tim Burton's films tend to have narration from what I remember um and in some movies they work but in this one it just didn't seem like a constant thing and so it was just kind of like okay it seemed more of like you know I want the person who's doing the narration to be in this movie more than his role calls for and so here you know let's let's put you over here and then it just mm, didn't sit didn't sit with me the way that it was intended but you know I still think this was a good movie I learned something new because I had never heard about Margaret and Walter Keene before maybe I haven't I just forgot about them maybe yeah I enjoyed the style of it it was such a great switch up from the movies that I've been watching recently I love horror movies I love thriller movies um but this this was a great little great little break from that and I really want to do more just like I want to do more movies that aren't necessarily what I want to watch you know like I I want to hit movies that I would add to my Netflix list because it seems interesting but I'll never touch it after that those are the movies that I really want to watch and review because in that like I'm exploring I'm learning the same time that you're learning and you're exploring and I think that's what makes us stronger Thank you so much for listening and tuning into this week's episode. I hope that I provided everything you were looking for this week. Um, I am very excited about what's to come this month or, you know, what's left of this month. Um, at the end of the month, you all are in for quite a, su- quite a strange surprise. Stranger surprise? Anyways... <laughs> You can find me on Instagram at the Unbound Cinefem Pod. You can find me on Twitter at the Unbound Cinefem. Or you can find me on Letterboxd at Avery C-O-F. Thank you so much, and I'll catch you next episode.